the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, Superman! Transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. More with 86-year-old force of nature and author Giselle Huff straight ahead. Let me let me ask you about UBI or Universal Basic yes. Income because back in oh leading up to the 2016 presidential election, Andrew Yang was on my program talking about a book he had written back then. I think it was called The War on Normal, but he introduced Correct. on normal people. Yes, he uh, introduced uh, the idea of of UBI to me. Anyway, that's right. where I heard it first. Yeah. Um, and, and he brought it up during the, the few uh, presidential debates that he was in, uh, in 2016. No, 20. 2000, 2019. 
event for the 2020. Oh, was it 2020? Yeah. I, for some yeah. reason, I was thinking it was it was the the cycle before that. But but no, I he, but he you're right, Giselle. In 18. You're right, Giselle. Yeah. Um, where did you first hear it, and and how did you come to adopt it? Because that's certainly not Republican or even Libertarian doctrine. No. So, uh, you know, uh, and, and let me here open a parenthesis, a uh, personal one. Um, uh, I lost my son in November of 2018 uh, to pancreatic cancer. He was 54 years old, and he, he died seven weeks after his diagnosis. And... So this was 19, uh, 2018, and since about 2013, he had been talking to me about UBI. I was already very, you know, uh, upset about the way the, uh, our economy was going, and I, was, uh, I had gone through that experience of identifying the system as being at fault, not the individual's. And he started explaining to me about uh, about UBI, and um, I, I, he educated me for until you know the day he died. We were so we were soulmates, my son and I, and and intellectual soulmates. So um, when he died, I by that time he had been a huge supporter of early on supporter of uh, Andrew Yang and uh, he introduced me to him and I became a supporter as well and I had several conversations with Andrew and as you can see uh, he actually gave me a blurb for my book he had there's a blurb from Andrew mm-hmm. um, in uh, in the praise page of the book uh, and so I became, to me, it became very clear that the fourth industrial revolution, which is what we're in, is as different from the other ones as our education system is, should be, from the system that operated in the past, which is based on the transfer of knowledge which is now available in a little device that's hardly bigger than a cigarette case and contains the entire world's knowledge more than all the teachers in the world put together. So to try to run an education system the same way you did in the past century is just like trying to run an economic system that is based on human labor when human labor is going away. And, and so, there are some people, um, there's still some controversy with regard to oh, UBI. No um, you know, there are many people who feel, as you do, Giselle, that technology and artificial intelligence is going to end up doing the jobs that people used to do. And that subsequently that means we need a different kind of economy. And UBI is is one of the suggestions that's that's out there. A universal universal basic income. Andrew Yang proposed what two hundred and fifty dollars a month or a week. No, a thousand dollars a month. Was it okay? It was two fifty a week. Yeah. Um, And that you know people could use that for basic subsistence. You know they could work and make more money if they wanted to, but they could afford 
you know, someplace to, to live and, uh, you know, have something to eat and, you know, they could survive on, on that whatever they were given as their universal basic income. But then there are other people who say, you know, who point to these other industrial revolutions and say, yeah, they were disruptive. They, they turned everything upside down and a lot of people lost out. But eventually it comes back and they're saying that it would be the same with this as well. Um, do you... Do you think there's something different about this particular industrial revolution, uh, or in this case, a technological revolution, that will not heal itself in terms of uh, economic um, uh, advantage for, for humans going down the road? Yes, I do, and that's because whereas up until now, the other revolutions replaced human brown, brown, B-R-A-W-N, brown, uh, with machines, right? The steam engine, or, you know, the airplane, I mean, all of the things that technology created for us, including making our lives longer and all of, you know, all the different advances, all of that. the human mind, right, was freed up to create ever-increasing miracles, right? I mean, it was after uh, we had the steam engine that we got the airplane. We freed up a lot of brain power when, no, when you know, it didn't take 80% of the population to grow our food, right, which is what happened in the, the, the right. end of the, say, of the previous industrial revolution now you only need now what is it well, less than two percent of the people not only grow our food but export food from the united states so of course that frees up an enormous number of people to do other things like work in factories and create you know be accountants and lawyers and and inventors and all of that now all brain stuff uh, uh, with a little bit of brawn. I mean, some of them are... are But when you start replacing human brains with artificial brains, then you're going into a completely different territory. And the the labor theory, the the theory that it said you always need labor doesn't specify human labor. You do need labor. That's true. But just as you look at, um, uh, if you remember, you know, if you think back at General Motors when it's heyday and you went into that factory, they were mostly people. All people that were running machines. Now it's machines and hardly any people. So you you need labor for sure, but you don't need human labor. It's not written anywhere that you need human labor. And when human labor, when when machines rather can replace mental labor, then we're in unknown territory because we never had that before. And it's not the same. You know that when uh, in the automobile industry before, it employed millions of people. 
people, the Google people, you know, the Google that affects billions of people in the world has, you know, a small number of employees in comparison. All of the uh, in the, the, the um, uh, intellectual, the, 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 uh, uh, manual. I mean, the people who are in the digital age that are in the technological aspect of the digital age do that with very few few employees. Well, I've certainly uh, witnessed the changes in the automotive industry. My my radio show, uh, Giselle, is yeah. uh, based in Flint, Michigan. Oh boy! <laughs> and so I I grew up, you know, with the the automotive industry all around me, and I I you know lived through those periods of um, job loss announcements being eight and ten thousand at a time. Yes. And and so I, you know, I, I've seen that that big change, automation, moving plants to other countries to pay less in wages. Yes. I've seen all of those those things develop, and and so I'm I'm curious and and fascinated by this idea that you promote and, and that Andrew Young or Andrew Yang rather. Uh, promoted um, on my show about universal basic income because I really am concerned that automation and um, artificial intelligence is going to push people out of the labor market. There, I mean, it, it, it's obvious to it's obvious now. If you go to any big store, you go to a Walmart, or that you'll see. How many ca- real cashiers there are? Go to the airport. See how many people are at the counters. There's one person at the counters and the machines. That's you know that's the, the, this is what's going to continue to happen at that level. And then what do you do with those people? So UBI is not a final answer. It's a transitional answer. It's a cushion or a floor, as, uh, you know, we like to say. It's a floor under which no American can fall in our society. It's enough because if it's $1,000 a person, then, you know, three people getting together can live in uh, Alabama where, you know, the rent is $500 a month and they don't even need a job because they have $3,000 at their disposal in one month. I mean, young people do that all the time right sure. now. They can't afford to live by themselves. So it, it's a transitional solution to a possible world of wonder, as uh, Peter Diamantis is wont to call it, uh, the age of abundance, where technology can become so sophisticated that it can through and I'm going to go off the the, the reservation here uh, <laughs> the, 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 through nanotechnology which according to my son Gerald was probably at the end of this century but he wouldn't swear to it through nanotechnology that reconstructs atoms Everything would cost nothing. 
Right. Because everything could be rearranged into other atoms. So you could turn a blue dress into a green suit. More with 86-year-old force of nature and author Giselle Huff. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. And if you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. 
No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with 86-year-old force of nature and author Giselle Huff straight ahead. Yeah, it's it's amazing what technology can do, and now we've got uh, uh, three-dimensional printers that can actually yes. manufacture yes. Uh, items, you know, tools. Correct. And, spare parts. You never have to buy a spare part. They actually build in China, five, when Gerald was pointing this out to me five, six years ago. In China, they built a 500-square-foot house printed, a 500-square-foot house in one week for $5,000. That's amazing. So, I mean, they did it six years ago. I could, you could look it up on Google, and you'll find that the, you know, the article that describes that. So why, are, why do we have homelessness? Or, you know, in California where I live, uh, we're burning up and we're, uh, we have no rain. We have another, we are in a major drought. We, I live in San Francisco right next to this huge ocean. Why aren't we desalinating? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, of course, we... Those are the questions that one needs to ask about the economy and what's going to happen Inevitably, Giselle. Let me ask this: This is your this is your first book. Is there another book on the horizon? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this because we are just almost out of time, Giselle. Yes. And yes. I, I'm having a wonderful time talking with you, and we could well, go likewise. on for hours. But um, but let me do this as I always do with my guests: give you an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do. Yes, I do. So it is, as I mentioned, I'm following the, I'm, you know, going and doing the work that my son would have done had he been alive at this time. I started the Gerald Huff Fund for Humanity, which is a nonprofit, uh, that promotes UBI, and the website for it is www.fundforhumanity.org, and that has all the projects that I've undertaken. It'll, it as of today or tomorrow, it'll have a, a link to the, you know, buying the book. The proceeds of the book are, are actually going uh, to the fund. So it's, I'm not, you know, this is not a moneymaker for me personally. It's going to help the fund to continue its work. And, um, of course, yeah, the book is available on Amazon, uh, Giselle Huff, Force of Nature. Well, Giselle, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners. And by all means, keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity, and I had a very good time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
name of the book is Force of Nature, the Remarkable True Story of One Holocaust Survivor's Resilience, Tenacity, and Purpose by Giselle Huff. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner program, and my uh, guest this hour is uh, a best-selling author of Amari and the Knight Brothers, and he has uh, come out with a sequel to that book, and it is called Amari and the Great Game. His name is B.B. Alston. He joins me by phone. Good morning, B.B. Welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> um, let me ask, this is, uh, this is the sequel, so it's the second book. Is it the second book in a series? It is. So right now it's come, we've got a kind of plan for three books, but we might add, like, we might add a new story uh, after this. So we're pretty excited about it. <laughs> so you think at least it'll be a trilogy? Yeah, at least, at least, at least a trilogy, for sure. Now, I've heard this... Uh, described as Artemis Fowl meets Men in Black. How do you feel about that yeah. characterization, and do you see this as having any uh, big or small screen potential? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good, um, pretty good uh, description of it. Um, it's pretty much like uh, a world where like all the supernatural creatures uh, exist. I kind of, um, when I got the idea for a story, it was, was kind of like I was watching Men in Black. And I said, you know, what if it wasn't just aliens? What if, what if it was like all the supernatural creatures, like you know, like fairies and trolls and goblins? What if they all lived among us, and they were like our neighbors? And okay, so I thought, like, how how would that be different? And what if a kid, what if a kid was involved some kind of way? And so I, I, I think I thought that was just a fun concept, and I kind of went with that. Um, so we, as far as like um, with a movie, we, we do have a movie deal in place with uh, Universal. Oh, nice. Um, we got Marce Martin. Yeah, so Marce Martin and Don Cheadle are involved already. Um, we, we've been speaking with directors, and so hopefully we'll have like some, some more firm news by the end of the year. So uh, fingers crossed. Wow, Don, Don Cheadle, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> that's got awards written all over it. Yeah, I, I got to talk to him the day Avengers came out, and that, that was the most amazing thing. <laughs> well, let me let me ask a little bit about uh, about this um, about this scenario, if if. This story was inspired by uh, by Men in Black. Did you then create um, an agency or bring the Men in Black into this in some way to investigate these uh, supernatural creatures? Is there um, an agency like Men in Black involved in this? Yeah, so it's called the Bureau, the Bureau of Supernatural Affairs, and they like handle all the supernatural uh, things that happen in the world. And, and it's, kind of, it's a bit like the agency in Men in Black, where they they kind of um, keep keep everything secret. And um, and so when Amari goes, she, she's the protagonist of the story. When she goes, she's kind of trained to be like a junior agent. So she's like a kid working uh, training in the summers, and then every summer she'll go back until she's eighteen, and then she'll become like a full agent. And so that's kind of how it works in that world. Um, and I, I think it's a lot of fun. Like, there's a, there's a part, there's like different departments as far as things you might find in the world. Like there's a, a department of dreams and nightmares. There's a department of, uh, of hidden places for like the secret places in the world. 
uh, department for uh, creature control with all like the supernatural creatures like dragons and all that kind of fun stuff. So I think it's something kids will really enjoy. <laughs> so this one is the great game. the The first book was mm-hmm. uh, Amari and the Knight Brothers. W- mm-hmm. Was the the agency in place for Knight Brothers, or did that get introduced in the second, in the sequel? Uh, oh no, it, it was always in place. And oh, okay. She, the thing about Amari is, yeah, so she's um she she actually has a um, well each each kid that goes to get a, a supernatural ability to kind of help them deal with the supernatural world, and um, um but Amari's power is actually that. She's had she's already she had magic already that she didn't know about, which makes her this kind of this kind of uh, special kind of person, which is like a magician. And th- and in this world, uh, magicians our humans are like kind of born with magic. And when they, to, to this world, they've been kind of the criminals. And so she's kind of she's kind of coming into this like law enforcement agency, uh, um, kind of kind of having to deal with that all that baggage from having being born a magician. So she kind of goes there, you know, for her own purposes. And so. Um, uh, just kind of learn to navigate that. It's, it's kind of a lot of the first, a lot of the uh, conflict in the, in the first book. Well, then um, you've created your own world for this. Mm-hmm. When I mean, you... so it's, it's basically it's our world. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go go ahead and finish that. Oh yeah, I'll say it's it's basically our world, but it's like our world. We had like hidden hidden creatures and like involved in the world, and so it's, it's a lot, it's like our world plus. <laughs> so it, there's um, so there's people, you know, bus drivers and cab drivers and um, bike messengers and stuff, just cruising around, just doing their gigs, and all this stuff uh-huh. is going on unbeknownst to them. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And then some of those bus drivers and and, and bike messengers are, are supernaturals too. Like, um, like one might be a vampire, one might be like a uh, like a werewolf. <laughs> okay, I see. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So this doesn't have um, an alien presence, or does it? Well. It, there's a there's an apartment with aliens, but I kind of I, I kind of downplay that a little bit just to kind of keep the comparison to Men in Black to a middle. I, I didn't want to like go too far Men in Black, but I had I, I did acknowledge that there are aliens in the in the world, but it's just it's, I, I really kind of downplay that part of it just to and focus more on like the supernatural creatures just to kind of keep them. I guess not to go too far into the Men in Black territory. If that makes any sense. Do the supernatural characters? Um... Like I, I, I assume Amari has a backstory, but do the other supernatural characters that pop up in your, uh, in these first two books, do they have backstories? Do we know where they came from? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, I, I try to make sure you know, all, each each character, from whether human or supernatural, has like a like a full character with backstory. Um, like for instance, um, Amari's best friend, she has a her roommate. It's actually something called like a were dragon, but she can like shift to a dragon when she wants to. And um, her, her backstory is that uh, you know she's the last of her kind. Um, they, they found her egg at like, the bottom of the ocean, and they brought it up, and so and she kind of got raised to be with the uh, with the humans because she's essentially human because she has trouble changing to a dragon. So they kind of let, let uh, kind of shoved her in with the humans. And so I, I, I try to do that with all the supernatural characters. Um, it's, I mean, there's a whole history of the world, and, it's, and I try to keep it full and and uh, make it exciting for readers. 
Now, with this being a, a sequel to the first book, Amari and the Knight Brothers being the first book, and this one being uh, Amari and the Great Game, is there, um, are they standalone books, B.B.? Can you read them in reverse order, or is it better if you follow this uh, uh, first book and the sequel, and then ultimately the the third book and maybe more um, in sequential order? Uh, well, so the, so if you could read it, you could read them out of order, but I think you would get the most out of it if you read them in order. Um, like each each story is a contained story as far as. Um, you know, as far as so you don't leave a cliffhanger. It's not like part one and part two and part three. Yeah. Well, you know what? Though I, I say that, and uh, I did kind of leave a little bit of a, cliff, a cliffhanger at the end of book two. So <laughs> it's probably best if you do read them in order. I realize, I just realized like, I did leave a cliffhanger at the end of book two. Well, so. that's that's why I'm asking because sometimes the yeah. you know the individual books will have their own story, but there might be an overarching story that that works its way out across say in this case all three books yeah so i mean that's definitely the case here i, I even though, even even with the cliffhangers it's, it's the, the actual story in book two is complete the story arc is complete it's just that uh, as far as what happens with the overarching story like you're saying there's still a lot left to do so uh in that sense um you know you, you could read it individually and get a full story but um, if you like, if you were interested in interested at all in the more overarching story, I think um, it would be best to read them in order just to get the full. And I, and I think if you read book two before book one, it would spoil a little bit of book one because it's kind of a big twist at the end of book one that was kind of kind of like already known in book two. So I would advise reading them in order. But um, I think you would still enjoy it if you read them out of order if, if, if that was your situation. <laughs> well, the um, now in in uh, this second book. Amari uh, mm-hmm. and the Great Game. Amari Peters is uh, this is her first full summer as a junior agent. Mm-hmm. Um, is she on some kind of uh, trial or probation period, or is she, you know, just fully empowered to get out there and and do her gig? So, so the first book, the first in the first book was her kind of like uh, learn to be a junior agent. So she's kind of a trainee. So that's kind of like the probationary period where they gotcha. do like trials and like earn right. earn that badge. And then so her, for her second summer, she's already got the badge, and so she can she can kind of go out in the world. Um, that they are kind of like paired with adult mentors, um, uh, which are like adult agents, so like take them out to the world for like field training and stuff. But um, she can do she can pretty much do anything. She has her own little um, her own little uh, special shoes that let her. Like walk on air and that kind of thing. So she she can go out and get she can go out and do all the fun stuff. <laughs> and and she thinks it's going to be a breeze, but turns out not so much to be. Yeah. Well, so she thought. Well, I think she thought after the first book that um, her worries are over because she kind of she, you know, she beat the bad guy. She got the badge. She's a she's a junior agent. Like, oh man, this is going to be totally different than the last number. And then lo and behold, another 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 bad thing happens. And, Another um, big crime happens, and, and uh, she has to figure out how to solve that while also dealing with being a magician again. So um, a, lot, a lot of fun stuff coming in book two. <laughs> um, what is the target age for this book? 
think that I think they have a lucid from like eight to twelve. But I, I try to write. I try to write it where, and you know, any age can enjoy it. Like in the first book, there's some text jokes that I don't think kids are gonna appreciate, but I think adults will read it and get a kick out of it. <laughs> so um, you know, I try to write it where you know it's something for everybody in the book. So um, hopefully that comes across and, and um, yeah, people of any age will pick it up and, and get a kick out of it. <laughs> in the um... In this uh, in this sequel, um, can you well, let, let's let's do this? Can you sort of give a little synopsis of uh, um, where we are so far in Amari's tales? Okay. So in, in the first book, um, she, she, the reason she's looking for her, the reason she even goes to the uh, the supernatural bureau of supernatural affairs. But she's just looking for a missing brother who's been missing for like six months. And so she finds out that he was involved in this, this secret agency. And so she has to go to this summer camp to, to kind of get into that agency. And she's up against, um, you know, kids who, she had, of course, there's just trials she has to participate in to stay there. And uh, she's been, the only thing about it is that the kids that she's going to get have known about the supernatural world, you know, their whole lives. And she's kind of coming into a blind. Um, and so she's having to navigate that. While also dealing with the fact that you know she's got this, she's come with magic, and that's kind of that's kind of frowned upon in that world. And so she find, she ends up finds her brother in the first book. I know that's a big spoiler for anybody you <laughs> read it, but um, so as when the second book comes out, you know she's you know, like she's, she's found her brother. She's got the she's got the badge. Um, you know she's beat the bad guy in the first book, so she's like that. She she's thinking, oh, this is gonna be a breeze. And then lo and behold, there's this this is um. Somebody stops time in this room, and, and all where, the room where all the leaders are the con, in the Congress room for the Supernatural World Congress. Somebody freezes that, and so all the, all the leaders are frozen. And so naturally, people think a magician is behind it, which means Amari's kind of back in suspicion. And so she's kind of thinking like, "Oh man, I got to figure out how to how to solve this crime to let people know that you know I had nothing to do with it." And so that's kind of what we are at the beginning of the second book. <laughs> um, how do you? develop the characters are they based on on people you know and and if that's true do those people um that that you've modeled these characters after do they have traits that suggest what superpowers their their uh <laughs> their clones might have well I you know, I, I don't have any characters that's based on like a one for one person, like uh, like one character is for one real life person. But no, it's so, always uh, kind of a, an of amalgam. Them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so like, like Amari, she's from like you know all the all the girls I used to know back in school when I was coming up. Um, <laughs> all those like girls sound like them. Yeah, that yeah, sounds a little funny, BB. It's like all yeah. those girls. <laughs> Were they mean to you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> No, I mean, even my wife's in there. Some of my wife, some of my wife personality is in Amari's right now. I don't want to sound like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, uh, as far as like the supernatural bills that they get, I think uh, I do try to keep it uh, some where some it's kind of based on their already the talent they have already, and then whatever the talent is, it's kind of getting enhanced so like a supernatural ability. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> When you're writing um, and and you have the freedom of of working with the supernatural, where you can sort of make up the rules, do you have to do any any research about 
certain phenomenon to um, add a, a touch of credibility or, or some sense of reality to it? So I think the best thing for when, you, when you're doing a fantasy, is it, 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 even if the world is all super magical and, uh, you know, kind of, especially like science fiction or fantasy, when you have so much imagination and kind of the world is kind of unrealistic, if you keep like the characters and what they're going through, make that realistic, and then that, that kind of gives the reader something to latch onto, um, make it relatable. Um, but definitely when you're when you when you when you kind of explore that supernatural, you definitely have to do your research. Um, a lot of times, um, what, what you might think is supernatural or, or myth or fantasy, you know, other people don't. So you kind of have to be careful with that too. Um, uh, for them, it's well, that's, very real. That's so, what I'm uh, saying. Do you have? Are there? Yeah. Laws of physics that you have to sort of take into consideration. Um, if it, because it seems like there should be uh, some boundaries, or there would never be any friction. You know, people could just alter the game. Yeah, so you, you have to have pretty firm rules as far as like what's possible and not and not possible. And yeah, I, I think you have to kind of lay that out really early and kind of keep to that framework. Otherwise, so 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 even the reader has the idea like, okay, I know what's possible, what's not possible. So I know the rules of this world because if you're constantly breaking that, then you know you, I guess you kind of lose the reader's trust. Where they're like, okay, well anything's possible. Why can't they just, you know, why can't why can't Amari just like click, snap her finger and find her brother, you know, so that kind of thing. So you have to you definitely have to find like a firm set of rules and establish that and stick to it. Um, yeah, why, that, why don't they just the yeah. why don't they just beam out yeah. of there? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, what um, when you're how do you, how do you go through what is the creative process like for you? Um, do you are you thinking about it all the time and jotting down little notes and and you know recording little snippets so that when you spend some time writing, you have these these threads to pull into it. Yeah, so it's actually a lot how it works. Is that I think even when I'm not thinking about it consciously, subconsciously, I'm, I'm thinking about it. So ideas will come to me at all times. And so I, I have a, the notes app, and my phone is like full, full of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I, mean, I got like, I have to erase it because like, literally the phone storage gets full, and I have to, like, I have to erase some. <laughs> so much. You know, you just see something and it pops up in the head, like, oh yeah, that would be a cool thing to add. You know, something, something ordinary, like you see a. Uh, um, I don't know, like a, a, a funny-looking tree, and then they'll give you an idea of, like, you know, what kind of creature might live in that tree, or maybe that tree is alive or something. You know, and, and it'll just get your imagination going, and you just get to jot in your phone. Um, but as far as the creative process as a whole, I think it's, my, man, mine is it's, it's so, so chaotic. Um, um, I write at kind of all hours. Um, I kind of come to it and go, kind of come and go back and forth uh, with, with my writing, and uh I just try to have fun with it, try to keep it spontaneous. Like, like I said, I, uh, just, whenever the idea comes to me, I try to jump on it right then if I can. If I can't, then I, I just get the jot in my phone and my notes out. I was going to get as much out as I can. I was going to ask yeah. about that. Um, yeah. If you're, you know, a, a, a fairly disciplined writer that sits down, you know, at the keyboard at a certain time every day and spends X number of hours or, you know, sits there till so many pages are accomplished, is it like that or... Um, or, or do you just, uh, when the mood hits you, you just start binge writing? So before I had deadlines, it was definitely more of the out of God kind of let it come to me. <laughs> <laughs> deadlines change <laughs> everything, don't yeah. they? 
Yeah, absolutely. Now I had to like put my butt in the chair every morning and get something on the page. <laughs> More with New York Times bestseller B.B. Alston. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flint Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. 
It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with New York Times bestseller B.B. Alston, straight ahead. Uh, there's there's a, an interview <laughs> I heard once, and, and sadly it wasn't one of mine, with uh, Stephen King. And somebody asked him, oh, said, wow, yeah. do you write to a muse or to a schedule? And he says, oh, I always write to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of it. I, I share that with a lot of writers because everybody does it different. Some people have a space uh-huh. in their you know, in their home, an office that they go to and, and work in. Some people will go to a cyber cafe and sit there all day and knock mm-hmm. out pages absolutely absolutely how, how does that work uh, for I, you I, uh, do you have to go off and be alone somewhere so i um in my in my last house I, um i just kind of kind of went in my like i had a I have a closet i would just go in there and kind of like close myself <laughs> off but in my new house i do have an office so. <laughs> well so, after I, the I first was, book becoming after the first book becoming a New York Times bestseller, I would think you could come out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got, I got, to, I got to upgrade a little bit. <laughs> but you, you're totally right. I, I have some friends that um, they can only write if they go to a hotel lobby or or um, a, a, a Starbucks. Uh, they have to have people have, have stuff happening around them for them to concentrate, and um, I guess they kind of get their imagination going. Oh, but me, I like I like to be kind of totally alone and kind of blocked off. And I put on my noise-canceling headphones. I know a lot of my writing friends listen to music and stuff. But I have to have, like, total silence to concentrate. I get easily distracted. Well, <laughs> and for, how it works for, me. for a lot of people, BB, writing is a very solitary thing. It's it's something you need to be mm-hmm. alone to concentrate and do and think through, you know, different problems that come up and, and you know, to get your juices flowing and all that. But then once the book is done and it's out there, do you enjoy the 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 book business part of it, the the signings and readings and meeting with people and interacting with people? Do you like that part of it? Absolutely. I think I think I think that part is it's, it kind of I think that's probably says a lot of writers that like you said, it could be pretty solitary. And you know, you can kinda of like lose yourself in in that kinda of like in the solitude a little bit. But then when the book comes out and then you see people reacting to it, and you have those interactions, especially with kids. I think the best part of being a kid's writer is they get so excited to see you, you know, and they're like, um, a girl, I had a signing yesterday, and the girl came all the way up from Jacksonville 
I'm in South Carolina. She came up with Jacksonville, Florida, just to see me, and she was so excited. And then you know, that, that's like all those moments when you're kind of alone, kind of cramped away, tight in the wave, alone, kind of makes it worth it. So um, I get I get excited just about meeting people and um, you know hearing hearing who their favorite character is or how they felt about the big twist at the end of the first book. You know, those kind of things there. They kind of they kind of make the life of being a writer for sure. When when they're giving you that feedback, BB, has it happened yet, or or do you anticipate it happening, where a, a reader will see something in the book that you didn't? Oh, that happens all the time. I'm like, I, yeah. like they have a, I didn't have a take on the character. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't think about that. I'll take credit for it, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, you know, like, I'm like, I, mean, I wish I was fun enough to put the thing that you put together together, but yeah, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, um, <laughs> BB, we're, we're almost out of time, and I, uh, I okay. want to make sure, as I do with all my guests, that... Um, I give you an opportunity to share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Uh, do you have a website you'd like to share? Yeah, so uh, you can find me at www.bbalston.com. And you can also find me at um, on Twitter and Instagram at bb underscore Austin. So, and and I'll update everything up there. So if you can, if you're looking for me, that's where I'll be. <laughs> Well, B.B., uh, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and congratulations on the new book. Good luck with it. And um, by all means, keep up the good work. Oh, thanks so much. It was so great to meet you. All right. Take care. Again, that was uh, author B.B. Alston. He lives in uh, South Carolina. His... um, debut middle grade novel Amari and the Knight Brothers um, was a New York Times bestseller and he is just now releasing the uh, sequel to that which is Amari and the Great Game we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight up from North Dakota But I don't really wanna get to know ya Do you think that maybe we could just make out Buy me dinner first and might let ya touch me underneath my blouse cause I dye my hair and pierce my body and your mama thinks I'm naughty I'm asking you baby Why can't we just be free? Did you ever wonder why the grass is greener on the other side? Is there something besides time that we can't buy? Why do we always say fine when someone says, how are you today? Everything is so cliché. Gonna change my name to Ruby Tuesday And move into my car 
California, Hollywood, cause I'm gonna be a big, big star, and I won't eat, so I'll be skinny, and all the boys will think I'm pretty, and all the girls will be jealous of me, yeah. Did you ever wonder why the grass is greener on the other side? Is there something besides time that we can buy? Why do we always say fine when someone says, how are you today? Uh-oh, everything is so cliche. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. We closed with uh, a song that was recorded uh, back when we had our studio, uh, Jenny Haber. Original music by her performed live on the Tom Sumner program. It's a little tease of what's coming up tomorrow. The whole show tomorrow is going to be, well, the phone line will be open. I don't know if anybody will call in to reminisce, but the number is 810-339-8255. And uh, if we don't have callers, we're going to hear music like what we just heard. I want to say thanks to all the guests on the show today, B.B. Alston, and before that, uh, Giselle Huff. And, uh, of course, always a pleasure to talk with uh, uh, Tom Hartman. And started out with uh, Monty Schultz, uh, son of uh, Charlie Brown creator Charles Schultz. And uh, that... As I say, that wraps it up. Tomorrow's the last day. I hope you'll join us for it. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.